Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. Our Sunday live stream starts at 10 a.m. at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. As Glenn said, my name is Donna, and it is my honor today to um, paint a colorful picture, a portrait of um, the character and person of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So today, as Glenn said, is the first day of Advent. It is the time and season of expectation, and it literally means coming. And Christmas is just 27 days away when we celebrate Christ's birth, the coming of Christ. So I I, um, titled my message today, Mary, Full of Grace. And a little bit about me, I'm not raised with a Catholic background. Um, You can see I'm wearing my cross today. (laughs) A couple of times I went to Mass growing up with a a friend or, or a cousin, I think one time, But um, I definitely have to say, after studying Mary and really paying attention to her life, and every time she was ever mentioned in the Bible, I have an amazing new reverence for her. She's just an amazing woman. She's an amazing Christian. She's actually the first spirit-filled Christian, as Christ dwelled inside of her. And I'm looking forward to sharing this with you today. First, I'd like to define grace for some of you that don't necessarily know what that means. It literally means favor. It's a gift, a generous free gift from God. So many of us has uh, painted images in our minds of Mary. The nativity scene, her on the back of a donkey, riding um, to Bethlehem her inside of a stable. We see this a lot on Christmas cards. We can imagine it in our own minds. But we're just imagining it because we really don't know. We know some things about what took place, but we really don't know um, as the story unfolds. We only know a little bit about her story. Not a lot about her personally. But in the New Testament, the gospel writers did mention her, and they mentioned her a few times enough that we can really pay attention to that and learn from her and her amazing faith. The gospel writers uh, writers invite us to pay attention to her. And I definitely believe that Mary was a woman who did not want to draw attention to herself. I think she's an extremely humble, quiet person. There's plenty of things, as I study this, that that could have been told, but I think that she refrained um, from the gospel writer sharing it and just said, I'm pondering these things in my heart. That's for me, but I'll share this part with you. She 
She remains a mysterious and quiet faithful from the very beginning to the very end. I just want to say here that I am going to interject some of my own thoughts, some of my own reflections and conclusions in this story. What Mary maybe had thinking, what maybe was really going on, what her faith was like, what really kept her going. So be patient with me on that. So let's begin first with a little background. As I'm painting the portrait of this story here. The first scene, I was imagining, what's the first scene? Well, I believe that the first scene took place up in the highest of heavens. So imagine, up in the highest of heavens, heavenly, almighty, glorious Father, the creator of the amazing universe. He's planning and he's preparing. And he's looking and he's searching to find the right one. Who is it going to be? that's going to be the mother and to carry his son. And I imagine that he's looking for someone that's an intelligent, someone who's noble, someone who's trustworthy, reliable, a pure-hearted person. I believe that he's looking for um, somebody humble, somebody willing, somebody very, very loyal. He's looking for this Jewish woman, and he found the perfect one. And he smiles. Now, this is where I'm interjecting, right? Once he found her, surely he, he was just so pleased. Surely he was so pleased. It says, um, Genesis 6-2, that the Lord was looking down and searching earth, and he found grace, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Surely he found grace in Mary. So now the second scene is Nazareth. And I'm going to give just a quick little history in the background of Nazareth. Nazareth is a small village, probably just about 400 people, mostly poor farmers whose lives were not easy. They didn't live on the flatlands, the rich soil lands that um, the wealthier people farmed. They lived up on the hillsides, and they would terrace out, which would mean that they would literally dig out and terrace out areas up on the hill, their homes, their gardens, little areas for their goats. They had to carry water up, and that was not an easy task of irrigation. They worked hard. So Nazareth is in the region of Galilee, and Bethlehem was just about 80 or 90 miles away. The homes were small, about one or two bedrooms, usually stone houses with thatched roofs, stone floors, and the extended family would live next door or nearby. Mary lived there, and this is where Jesus was raised. Now, Mary was of the age to be engaged to be married, and this is called the betrothal. And this is where we meet her. So Mary would be between the ages of 12 and 14. And her family, when she would enter into womanhood, her family would begin to prepare well, they already would, they have already arranged and chosen who she would marry. So this was tradition, that the parents chose who the spouse would be, and there would be a time of preparation. That would take about a year. And exactly, we don't know how old she is, but we know um, in our present day, she would not be old enough to drive, probably. <laughs> they chose Mary, who was um, a carpenter. Impossible, I mean, they, Mary, 
the Mary's parents chose Joseph, and he was a carpenter, and possibly he was a little bit older, a little bit more established in, in working and bringing in some income. So her life wasn't, and her family's life wasn't extremely remarkable or significant at that time. It's about to be. And let's go into that. First, Mary growing up, she would have some knowledge and she would attend the synagogue. So her family were Jewish and she, they would go to synagogue and the women and children would set aside. They couldn't be inside, but they could hear and listen to the scriptures and the, uh, the prayers, the promises, and she would learn these, this. Even though she might not be able to read, she would learn and she had knowledge and understanding of um, her Jewish history. They would celebrate all the Jewish uh, festivals, Passover. They would celebrate the freedom from the Exodus. They, you know, all these things she knew about and she understood um, at her age. During that time, King Herod was a cruel king and he ruled over um, with the Roman Empire. Uh, Augustus was the empire and he ruled over them. And it was hard times to grow up in. Her people had longed and prayed for Israel to be liberated. And this was something that Mary knew about. I'm sure she heard this from her parents, from her family, the promises um, that there would be a Messiah and the Messiah would come. And I could only imagine that Mary, excuse me, under the most difficult times, her family, she would join in with her family praying and longing for the Messiah to come, the Messiah to come. That's part of the advent, of the expectancy that he's going to come, he's going to come. Now, Mary's aunt, Elizabeth, in her very old age, was pregnant with John the Baptist. And her husband, Zechariah, as Glenn said, was a priest. So let's go to slide one, and I'll start reading verses 1 through 26. Let's get this here. Make sure I have my... Is that up there? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Such a greeting. Never, ever has there ever been a scripture such a greeting like this. If Mary knew some scripture, she understood that. This was an incredible greeting from an angel Gabriel who minutes before was up in the highest heaven face to face with God. I mean, to even ponder and to think of what that was like for heaven to come to earth and to encounter her and to speak to her. That's just so amazing. It's just amazing. She, and then it says here, you are the highly favored one. Let's go to slide two. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And as I studied this, I thought, why is she greatly troubled? And if you could physically imagine when you're greatly troubled and stressed out, what does that feel like? Is it in your gut? Is it in your chest? Is it in your heart? How's your breathing? How's your heart going? She was greatly troubled by this type of greeting. And this is what I learned 
And this is something new, amazing that I learned. Gable's greeting to her addresses her, of course, with great respect and favor. And like I said, no one has ever been addressed like that before. And the sentence that he said, the Lord is with you. Well, that is a phrase, the Lord is with you, that they would give to soldiers going into battle. That's why I'm thinking she was greatly troubled. What kind of message is this going to be? This is what King Saul said to David, as little David, as he was going to go approach this bully of a huge giant Goliath. He said these words to David. And again, if Mary knew that story, and of course I'm only interjecting, surely she knew that there was something to come that was going to be difficult. And she surely was a brave soldier, wasn't she? In battle, it meant this. Be brave. God will help you. And we ask, what did this mean? Except that she was going to receive a great and difficult mission. And then let's go to verse... What slide are we on right now? There we go. She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. And he says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be, call- and he will be the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give the throne of your father, uh, the father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. It will never end. So as she was greatly troubled, the first response is, do not be afraid. Then she replies, how will this be, she says, since I am a virgin? Her thoughts, well, wait a minute. I'm not married yet. I'm going to be pregnant. I'm going to give birth to this type of son very soon. I'm engaged. And how will this happen? And he simply responds with how it's going to happen. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. In the King James, it says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Think of that. Nothing is impossible with God. So she, how is she going to respond? How is she going to respond? And this is what I imagine. I go back up to heaven. There's a heavenly father. Is he sitting on a throne? Now, we're not so familiar with this in our society, but a throne would be a very elegant chair, maybe velvety, full of jewels. If the Heavenly Father is waiting for her response and everything pauses and there is a wait because it is Mary's decision, she does have the choice. She is not being forced to say yes here. I imagine him leaning forward, straining, all the angels just like, is she going to say yes? Is she going to say yes? And even Gabriel waiting. 
there was a silence. There was a pause at this moment. And so the next scripture that Glenn's going to put up here, she replies, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answers, may your word be fulfilled. She says yes. She says yes. And slide five can come up next. She embraces her mission. She submits her life with total surrender, completely over to God, trusting in his goodness and his promise that he is with me. Do not be afraid. I'm not alone. Nothing is impossible with him. She must have replayed these words over and over again all throughout her life. And I'm going to mention that as we go through some more of the story. Now Mary is pregnant with Jesus. He lives in her. He dwells in her. This new life growing inside her, and that experience forever changed her. And slide, slide six. Next, the next scene. Mary visits Elizabeth. At the time, Mary got ready, and she hurried down to the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, a six months pregnant, the baby le leaped inside of her, it says. And Elizabeth was filled at that moment with the Holy Spirit. And then filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, Blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored? There's that word again. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, my personal self, Savior, should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believes that the Lord would fill his promises to her. Joy. Christmas time is such a time of joy, of gladness, and of rejoicing. And I love it that it began with John the Baptist in the womb. Now we could put the slide up of Elizabeth, and I will read Mary's response. It's her song. And this is what Mary sings. Isn't that a great picture of joy right there? I just gazed on that, and just that, that artist captured it. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices, rejoices, be glad, make glad, in God my Savior, for he has been mindful to the humble state of his servant. From now on, now, right now, today, to all generations, they will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me and his holy name. His mercy extends to all those who fear him from generation to generation. Starts with her, goes on and on and on. The same grace. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are prideful in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. 
but has sent the rich away empty. For he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants, just as he promised our ancestors. Then it says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. Now, I'm just filling in some blanks. If she's six months pregnant and Mary stayed there for three, would she not, during those three months, get to share this incredible community that women have with each other, to be able to be connected and to share their stories and to share their experiences and to talk about and reflect all their hopes. And, and her auntie, Elizabeth, was much older and wiser. And Zechariah, um, being a priest, I mean, they, they knew Scripture. I'm sure that there was so much invested in her during those three months and that time that really anchored her in her faith. To have the support, first of all, and to have someone to confide in, such as Elizabeth, it's just amazing to me how God would provide that. I love it that she stayed there three months. And of course, you can't just leave when she's like ready to have a baby. I'm sure that she stayed there and was with Elizabeth and experienced birth and caring for an infant after that. And then it says that um, she went home to be with her family and to be with Joseph. Slide eight is a map. <laughs> and I don't know if you can see this very well, but it shows Nazareth in perspective of where it is located um, to Bethlehem. That would be about like an 80 or 90 mile walk. That would take several days to get there. And it just shows you that Jerusalem is about five miles away from Bethlehem and how they would journey. So the next scene here is going to be their journey to Bethlehem. So Luke 9, and that is the next scripture here. In those days, Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor, issued a decree that a census would be taken to the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Canarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their um, town to register. So what that would mean is that at such an inconvenient time that Mary would have to travel with Joseph in the winter, away from all that's familiar, away from their home, and go to Bethlehem. And they really didn't know all the plans that were going to unfold. They really didn't know where they were going to stay. But surely she replayed over and over in her mind, do not be afraid. You are favored. God is with you. Nothing's impossible. I believe she replayed that over and over. And that is her faith that she held onto that empowered her to get through all the uncertainty day to day of what was going to unfold. And some people paint the picture that she would have been very anxious and nervous and worried. But I really believe differently. I personally believe differently. I do believe it was difficult, yes, for sure. I believe that uh, the roads to travel up and down hills, there were um, wild animals, that, wild boars attacked people in that Pacific uh, 
road many times. There were robbers, there were bandits. They would be traveling with all their supplies and provisions that they would need. But the Lord is going to be faithful to them. I also have to comment here that I don't believe that they traveled alone. So the picture and the images that we always are getting, right, on every Christmas card is them traveling alone. She's sitting on a donkey. But think of it. If his whole family had to go register at the census, if his whole family, and her, she was from the lineage of David too, surely there had to be some familiar people that were traveling along with them. And surely that was safer. So I am imagining that they did travel with some family. I just believe that it would be very unlikely that they wouldn't be. And also from what I was reading, that most likely she wasn't sitting on the back of a donkey. Now their supplies and all their provisions, water is heavy. They had to carry water for eight, nine days. Possibly she rode it. I don't know. But most likely she walked beside them as they traveled along. Again, they didn't know where they were going to be. The destination, I'm sure that they, where they were going was to Bethlehem. I don't know if they've ever stayed there before. It'd be like maybe the first time they stayed there. I don't know. But the roads, as they got closer to Bethlehem, had to get a little bit more crowded, a little bit more dirty and dusty from all the travelers and the, their donkeys. And when they arrive, it says here that they, there was no room for them in the inn. There we go. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of David and the, the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary. He was pledged to be married with him and expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available in the inn. And then you could do the next slide. The next slide here. On my page here. Okay, it's time for the baby to be born. She is full term. They knocked on doors for a place to go, and they were all full, too. <laughs> but surely she had to replay this message that he's with us. God is good. He's in control, right? And here's what I'm thinking. That Mary, nine months pregnant, full term, is fully filled with Christ. It is something that may, none of us will maybe ever know to that extent. But if you've ever experienced the fullness and the infilling of the Holy Spirit and of the presence of God, that dwelled in her every moment. They were one. They were connected. At that time of her birth, I believe that Mary was peaceful, and I believe that she was calm, and I believe she was so confident that God was going to take care of her and take care of them and that everything was going to be okay. And as the events unfolded, 
And they said, there's no place here, but we do have a stable, which most likely was a cave that could have been in the back of this guest house with some animals in it, that that is where you will stay. I also believe that the stable was clean, that someone who went there before that day, God said, hey, go clean the stable. Do an extra good job. Okay, God prepares. He plans ahead. I just believe that. I do. I believe that there was this fresh hay that smelled lovely. And I have been inside of a barn at night. And I want to tell you, it's not noisy. It's so quiet. And the animals are just breathing. There's just a softness and a sweetness at that time. There could have been some doves cooing up there. But I just believe that it was a quiet and perfect place for her to give birth to Jesus. And I believe she was very relieved to sort of just be away from all the hubbub and the crowd and to be able to have uh, this time and experience apart from all that, of the hustle and bustle. I also believe, again, Donna's interjecting in here, that if we can imagine the story as it unfolds, we would say that there's no way that she delivered that baby alone. First of all, you need an attendant to be with the baby and to be with the mother, and there's medically things that go on at that time. So I do believe that God provided either the people that were traveling with her or um, that it wasn't Joseph. We picture sometimes, oh, Joseph was the one who delivered the baby. That did not happen. Okay, that God provided the assistance and the help that she would need. Mary held him that first time to hold him, to behold him. Have you guys ever held a newborn baby? and to hold and to gaze and to look and to behold this child. I believe that there was such a beautiful, intimate time of worship that they had together with with Jesus first. And then next, there were other people that were going to come to worship. And the shepherds would come. So we could do the next slide up there. Get my thing here. Excuse me. It says that the, the shepherds were out in their fields watching their sheep, and the greatest birth announcement ever was announced. And we'll go to the next slide. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Whenever some, someone seems to be terrified or afraid, right, uh, from something like that, he just says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in the manger. And then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. And when the angels have left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds came to, said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has told us about. The angels, and that's slide 13. Now, just a quick little thing here because I'm going to wrap up this last little part in the next couple minutes here. But the shepherds, were lowly people. They were not allowed to go into the temple and worship because they were considered unclean because of the type of the work that they did. 
being out and with animals and out in the pastures. So this is just so cool that God, that the first people that would come to worship, the first announcement would be revealed and made known to the shepherds. I love it. And they would come and worship baby Jesus. Mary treasured and pondered all these things in her heart. Surely they both were so amazed and marveled. The next group of people that were going to come to worship were the wise men. We don't know if this was the same night or a couple of days later. And we could do the slide of the wise men. There we are. And Matthew says the wise men came to worship. They wanted to worship the one who was born, the king of the Jews, and they followed the great star. This was good news to all of mankind. The wise men came with gifts, and that, those gifts, I believe, provided for the journey that was going to be um, coming up next. They came to worship him. The prophecy in the Old Testament of Micah says, You will Bethlehem, out of you will come a ruler and the shepherd of God's people. And then, as we know, Herod was very jealous because the wise men went to him and said, we followed the star, there's this king, we will come to worship him. And news got back to, to Herod about that. And so he sent out a command to kill all the baby boys that were two years and younger. And that had to be terrifying. But again, don't you think that she had to, she played, replayed the promises that God gave to her? You are with me, do not be afraid. It says right after that, before they went to Egypt, they went at eight days, they went to the temple, and there was Anna and Simeon who prayed for them, who, whose eyes could see the Lord, and he worshiped and praised. I'm not going to go into that because that's something next. Then they flee to Egypt with the provision, with the gold that the um, wise men gave them. Because you think, well, how can we go away? How can we feel we have no money? We're poor. But I think it's cool. I think that some of those gifts really did provide for them to go away for a couple of years until the Lord spoke to them and said, it's time to come back. Time to come back to Nazareth, which um, were, that's where they went back to. That's where Jesus was raised. And Mary is mentioned um, a few more times after this. And there's a, the next time they really mention her is... Um, when Jesus is 12 years old and they're going to, they're with crowds of people and they're going to celebrate that festival and through the busyness and crowds or whatever and distraction, she, she lost Jesus. And, th and she realized, well, wait a minute, I don't have Jesus. He's not with me. Something is wrong. How could I lose him? How could I leave him behind? How could I forget him? Is he lost? And she became very, very afraid. And she went to go search for him for three days. That's kind of a long time, I think, don't you think? Three days. So I'm telling you, if Mary can lose Jesus, we can too. That actually brings me a little comfort to my faith to think, okay, if Mary can, and she's just so amazing, then there would be a time that we are walking along in our life and we just say, wait a minute, I'm not feeling that Jesus' presence is with me. Did I forget him? Did I leave him behind? What am I to do but to go and to look and to search for him? And surely she found him. And she said, why did you do this to me? <laughs> That's what a parent would say. Why did you? We were just so we were anxious. And Jesus just replied that 
he had been in his father's house, and he was teaching, and he stayed and remained there. He probably knew they were going to come back and find him, and that's where he would be. <laughs> then the next time that um, I want to bring up here is when they um, marry um, at the wedding. It mentions her again. So Cana's 10 um, miles away, and they're in this wedding three days, and they run out of wine. We know how the first miracle goes, that Mary looks at Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And he's like replying to his mother, Mother, it's not my time. And yet his mother makes this request. Now, why would a mother make that request? Do you not think that somehow during those last 30 years or when he was growing up that he did not do miracles at home? I mean, she would only make this request as if she'd seen firsthand and experienced some things like that. So surely there was some practice or whatever you want to say, but there was that I believe that things happened in their house that she treasured and pondered that they don't, we don't have it in Scripture. But why would she make such a request if she didn't know that he could do it, right? And he did. That was says he honored his mother's request. And I just have to comment that I believe there are several other times in the Bible where the Lord really hears and honors the prayers of a mother and honors the requests. And he comes to them, and he provides for them, and he heals their children that are sick or tormented. Um, it's just over and over again that the Lord is gracious and merciful and responds to the heart and cry and prayer of a parent. The last scene here is going to be um, at the cross. Well, not last. There's, two, there's one more time they mention Mary. She's at the cross. She's there from the beginning. She's there to the very, very end. And didn't uh, Anna and Simeon say that a sword would pierce, Simeon said to her, a sword is going to pierce your own heart too. To see him in that condition on the cross, dying for her sin. He is her savior. And he's there dying for her and for her people. And she was there. She stayed with him to the end. And it does mention that. And most likely Joseph wasn't there because he died and she was a widow. And Jesus said, on the cross to John, take care of her. And he did. Then as we know that Jesus rose, the resurrection three days later, it doesn't mention that he visited her, but I absolutely believe that there was a private one-on-one. I believe they were so intimate and close. I'm, now I'm just, this is, I'm sipping on some lines here because this isn't scripture, but he appears to Mag, Mary Magdalene, the disciples. Would he not appear to his mother who was with him and standing there at the very end? Oh, I believe there was an incredible encounter and a beautiful moment there, I have to say. Then the last time it really mentions her is in Acts, and it's in Acts 1. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Oh, can you put up the last slide of Mary? At, there we go. Okay. They all joined together in prayer, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, because Jesus promised that. He said, I am not going to leave you and forsake you. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. So wait for it. So they gathered together constantly, and Mary was there. And I think that would just be so encouraging to the disciples to have Mary there with them, to strengthen and encourage their faith, to say, do not be afraid. Emmanuel, God is with us. He is coming. He will come. His promises never fail. His word is always good. 
and he came. They waited and they prayed, and he came. This is such good news. In Psalm 17, 18, it says that we are, that it says, keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadow of your wings. That the same love that he has for Mary, he has for us, that we are his people, we're his children, we're the apple of his eye. John 3.16 says that God gave, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. And do you know that the word perish really means to waste away, to decay and weather, but not just physically, but to perish wasting away, to be separated from God so that we may have eternal life and eternal life now. I believe that we can enter into that now, that he wants us to uh, thrive and to have life abundantly. And that's what John 10.10 says, that I have come that they may have life, like Mary first experienced it, and they may have it abundantly with joy and with hope and with peace. And I pray that we can enter into Advent with this new expectancy and new hope, um, that we can... ponder and to think and to treasure these things like Mary did and to um, and to enter into that invite that we too can be um, behold Jesus, to love him to be filled with Jesus he wants to dwell in us, he seeks us he came to give us life and life abundantly Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Casket Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give. We'll see you next week.